The comparisons between Star Trek and Shakespeare have gone hand in hand since the original series debuted. Not just in the material, but in the community of actors who, before assembling on the bridge, took the stage to perform in theaters across the country. Star Trek and the dramatic arts have always been a perfect pair, but what about Star Trek and musical theater? Well, as it turns out, those two things go together a lot better than you may think. And there's really only one thing you could say about something as special as that. Spock, pop, loop, pop, spock, bash, well, maybe there's a few other things you could say besides that, but we'll get to that in a little bit. This week on Trek Untold, I'm bringing you behind the scenes of the hot new off-Broadway show that combines singing, dancing, drama, space chickens, and vengeance, because we are going backstage for the musical sensation simply titled... Welcome to Trek Untold, the Star Trek podcast that goes beyond the stars. I am your host, Matthew Kaplowitz. This past rainy Saturday afternoon in New York City, I had the honor of getting an exclusive behind-the-scenes look at a new off-Broadway show, one that I know Trekkies will want to get behind. Con the Musical is exactly what it sounds like, a faithful, lyrical retelling of Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. However, the show takes some unexpected twists and turns along the way, making it a unique journey through that sci-fi classic. And in case you're wondering, yes, it is an unofficial parody, meaning Paramount has nothing to do with this production, but the humor is definitely Lower Decks quality, and as you're going to find out today, the people behind this are serious Star Trek aficionados. So today on Trek Untold, it's call time for how an off-Broadway musical parody and homage to arguably the best Star Trek film ever goes from script to stage with a rare peek behind the curtains as the performers and crew have less than one week until showtime to get ready. I'll be sharing interviews with the show's writer, lyricist, director, and performers to bring the story of how this musical came to life, complete with snippets of some of the different musical numbers audience goers will experience when they come to the Players Theater in NYC this May. And do please keep in mind, what you're going to be seeing in this video is all rehearsal footage, so it doesn't necessarily reflect what you will see on show night. And I'm sure it will certainly look different than the way it was presented here. This is raw, complete with the occasional slip-up, and is a legit behind-the-scenes look at the work that goes into an astounding project like this. 
You might not think a parody musical is your cup of tea, but once you see what I saw, you'll understand my excitement for it, and I'm positive you're going to have a smile on your face and a song in your heart. Although, to be fair, that song you might have in your heart will probably be filled with seti eels and a lot of puns about Khan. But before we begin this week's episode, I want to remind you to follow Trek Untold on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Trek Untold, all one word. You can get show updates, check out some fun memes, and let me know what you think about what's going on with the current events in the Star Trek universe. You can also support this show directly on Patreon at patreon.com slash trekuntold where you can support this show for as little as $2 a month. At higher tiers, you can listen to the shows before they come out, know about my guests well in advance, and even have a chance to ask them questions, get transcripts of these episodes to make sure you get all the info, and more benefits coming soon, including watch parties and live streams. But that's all dependent on more fans like you coming over and letting me know you want to be a part of events like that. If you want some Trek Untold merchandise, check out our store for gear and apparel, including shirts, hats, stickers, water bottles, notebooks, and a whole lot more. New designs will be added throughout the year, so it's always worth taking a peek. Trek Untold also has an Amazon shop where you can peruse everything Star Trek, sci-fi, and geeky on Amazon in one convenient location. If you're looking for a gift for the Trekkie in your life, or maybe want to see some of my favorite non-Star Trek things that you can get for yourself, check out the link for my Amazon shop in the show notes on the audio version and in the description below this video on YouTube. If you're listening to us on iTunes or any other audio platforms that allow for ratings and reviews, please leave us a five-star rating and a positive review to help out this show. If you're watching it on YouTube, don't forget to subscribe to us at youtube.com at trekuntold and give the video a thumbs up and a comment. All of these things help more people find this show and to continue growing and bringing you awesome guests each and every week. So with that introduction out of the way, let's set course for Manhattan and enjoy our away mission behind the scenes of Khan the Musical. Computer, engage documentary. Or in this case, let's call it a Spockumentary. Make it so. Broadway is the mecca of theater in the United States, a place where some of the biggest shows step up and step out, competing to lay down the foundations for long-term success. Some will be celebrated and seen for years, others for mere weeks. But all will be remembered one way or another for playing on the Great White Way. Blocks away from Midtown, in the shadow of Broadway, a new performance is being workshopped with a debut date closing in on them. Aft thrusters, Mr. Sulu. Aft thrusters. And ahead one quarter impulse power. One quarter impulse. And away we go. It's Saturday, April 29th, and I'm inside the rehearsal space for Khan the Musical. At this phase, it's typically a closed doors affair when it comes to the public and press, since the crew haven't even worn their official costumes yet, let alone walked on the stage they're going to be performing on for the next five weeks. They're still figuring things out, but as an outsider, I can confidently say the show is in great shape, but you don't have to take my word for it. 
Now, you guys at this point are less than a week away from showtime. So kind of set the stage for what I was <laughs> looking at today. Uh, what, yeah. what, what did I watch today, and how are you feeling about where we are? You watched an amazing production. I performed something that's like 90% there. There's like still some tweaks. There's still some lines that need to be that need to be adjusted. But it is a point in the rehearsal process that I love, which is like it is basically a full production, but we're all wearing our normal clothes. So when I watch scenes where they're where everyone's in their athletic outfits, I get to imagine it for myself, which I love. I love that. I love that part. So are you ready for Showtime on Thursday? No. <laughs> and who was this performer I was speaking to? Hi, my name's Julian Manjarico. I play Data. I also play Joaquim, David, and Peter Preston. And a chicken, most importantly. Okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now, uh, space chickens are one thing, but Data in The Wrath of Khan? Well, I think it's time we back it up a little bit. Maybe about 15 years earlier to a rather unusual starting point. And a one, two, infinite. Let's begin another story on the shadowy sea. With a bulky beacon beckoning mysteriously. Take a journey to a wacky town and start to explore. Is it me or have we sort of done this all before? That's Brent Black, a.k.a. Brentlefloss. He is a pioneer for YouTubers like me, who rose to acclaim thanks to his brilliant song parodies of famous video game music. I've been enjoying his work for over a decade now, and his creative skill has never ceased to amaze me. He's also the head lyricist, composer, book writer, and creator of this musical. Brent, I have been following you since the days of Screw Attack, the early, early days of YouTube. Uh, in fact, I met you way back, I think it was maybe Comic-Con 2009 or 2010 here in New York. Oh, wow, yeah. On my other YouTube, my, my very first YouTube channel of three, and somehow I convinced you to Dance Monkey Dance for me, and you sang like part of the Mike Tyson punch-out rap. Wow. So that's how far back I go. You must have had a lot of charisma, because I'm not always in the mood to like, you know, be the jukebox guy, so you must just have something special. I gotta ask you for a big favor now. Do you mind singing the punch-out rap for me? It's my favorite song. I gotta hear it. Oh, I'm usually, I usually refuse to be anybody's monkey, but for you, for you. You'll be my monkey? <clears throat> big time. I'm Iron Mike and I'll knock you into space. I got more punch than Rihanna's face because I float like an inner tube and sing like a scorpion. I'll hit you so splendiferously, you'll need some morphine. Ask me if I'd like to eat meat. I am carnivorous. Don't believe the words that I say? Well then consider this. I am ferocious. My word bank is copious. In fact, it's supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. I'm Kid Dynamite. Always tripping fight or flight. Cover up your ears, baby. I might try a bite. You've done YouTube parodies for years. You've done video game song parodies. You've done a lot of pop culture parodies. But I looked on YouTube. I didn't see a lot of Star Trek stuff, except for like two little things. So what's up with that, Brent? Well, You're hiding the Star Trek. The love? thing is, like, when you you know this probably better than me at this point, but when you're making online content, people really want you to be kind of really consistent in your formula, almost like a candy bar. You can picture the candy bar, you can picture what it tastes like, and if it's different for no reason, you don't like it, even though the person in this case isn't a candy bar, they're a person. So whenever I would make Star Trek stuff, it would just flop in terms of views because it's like people don't come to this store for uh, Star Trek. It's kind of like I don't go to McDonald's to buy a toaster. I think that if my Star Trek stuff had gotten more traction, I would have done more, but... There wasn't as much crossover at the time, and I wasn't able to cultivate 
that kind of audience then. But hopefully I'll be a little more crossover now with this show. If Star Trek has been this like hidden passion for you, how long have you been secretly, quietly toiling in the shadows working on Khan? 2015 was when I went to a strange dance show in Brooklyn. Um, oh, yeah, well, I mean, they are all, but this was, let's just say, like, very indie, in a basement. Someone I had a crush on was in the show. I decided to go see it. And while that didn't work out, what did work out is that I started to zone out and kind of like, you ever just kind of like uh, have one of those long kind of periods during a show or something where like you're not paying attention. And then when you come to, everything that's happening hits you at once. And there were these two spacesuit guys on stage. And I was like, oh my God, it's Chekhov and Terrell from the Wrath of Khan. And they're just like dancing and doing their thing. And I was like, wow, a Wrath of Khan musical would be exquisitely stupid, like so dumb, but like wonderfully dumb. My friend Alina Morgan, who actually was my uh, co-writer on Brennel Floss the Comic, just to tie that in, who also met me at Comic-Con in 20, uh, 2010, she co-conceived it by saying, hey, you should have data make the holographic musical on the holodeck, and that's your premise to allow it to be a parody instead of it just being a parody. This will keep it almost in canon, where you could almost believe Data would do this and that the musical would be this kind of bad, but also this kind of good. Let's pull it back now to how this story left Dry Dock and went out to seek new frontiers with the help of this person. A mutual friend of Brent's and mine who knew that we were both Star Trek fans said, I have a friend who wrote a musical about the Wrath of Khan, and I thought, that's a terrible idea for a show, I want to read it. Meet John Lampy, the director of Khan the Musical. Prior to this project, Brent and John had never met before, but now they're as inseparable as Kirk and Spock. I didn't know Brent's um, YouTube work very well. Uh, but once he sent me the original demos from the show and then sent me the script, I thought, yes, I absolutely want to meet this guy. He's a mad genius, but also I love this. You know, at that time, what I knew of him is he's kind of a director of, you know, indie stuff, like not like some famous guy, but I was like, you know, let's have a Zoom meeting. And the background of his Zoom call was the Enterprise. And he was like, you're going to have to believe me. This wasn't for you. And I'm like... Okay, and now I actually believe that. I realized uh, that a year ago was the first emails that Brent and I exchanged. It was April 28th, 2022, in which he sent me the materials, so like the demos and the, the draft of the show as it was then, with the idea of we're going to do a reading in November. And that was all I was signed on for, with the hope that like, oh God, I hope they like what I do, and I get to stick around for the production that we're doing now. It wasn't that he was a dyed-in-the-wool encyclopedic Trekkie that he was a theater person who understood and appreciated Trek enough to know how to transform it, how to play with it. Because, you know, if you've got somebody that's one of those just absolute encyclopedic color inside the lines Trekkies, they're probably not ideal to be a creative collaborator on this show because they're going to want it to be just like the movie. The early drafts of this show were much more like the movie, and they didn't really work because of what we talked about structurally and even in terms of the vibe. If you do a movie on stage, you may as well have just done the movie. Brent has been working on this eight years. I'm in it for one now. So I've got one-eighth of his tenure on this show. Luckily, I came into this with Brent having done a lot of that foundational work already. But working with Brent has been kind of, I mean, it's been awesome in a lot of ways. Uh, one, because you know this clearly. He's musically, he's so gifted. 
as a musician and as a lyricist and as a book writer, it's pretty rare that those things happen in theater in equal parts, right? You've got like five people who can do it successfully. Uh, and Brent is one of them. For me, kind of the lucky thing was, I think if I had known the Brentel Floss brand better before getting involved in this, I would have been freaked out, right? Because I wouldn't have known, or I, I would have been intimidated, I think. But what's funny is, and I guess this speaks to algorithms and how Spotify works, I'm a big novelty music person, grew up on Dr. Demento, in fact, was probably first introduced to Star Trek from the firm's Star Trek in on a Dr. Demento CD. So I had heard Brentel Floss songs prior to even knowing who he was. And then I, you know, kind of in doing my due diligence and looking this guy up was like, oh, wait, I know who this guy is. Brentel Floss has like 13 or something years of YouTube history to just dig back through. So once I was signed on and got to work with Brent, uh, that's when I could kind of dig back in and go, okay, so his pastiche of Hyper Channel Rag is maybe kind of similar to the pastiche of the DK rap or, you know, whatever the case may be. But luckily, uh, getting to work with him in the room has been, we're very simpatico in terms of what we think the show should be. Um, so it's great. I, I always say the best idea wins. So if we're watching something and I can turn to him and say, is this what you wanted? And he says, no, actually, there's no ego about it and we can adjust it. Um, but also if he comes up with an idea for something or I come up with an idea for something and it works better than what we have, that's what we go with. Back at the rehearsal, things are heating up as Khan has just made his way into the show. And I was treated to another toe-tapping hit. Let's check it out. They say you never see the bullet that kills you. Well, take a good look, Admiral. <laughs> what do we do, sir? Sir, sir. Admiral. Damn. I used to live for a moment like this to face their face and give it a kiss. When they eat a pan, they kill for spider. There's no way out from into the fire. No tricks. 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 Shut up. No tricks. Ha. 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 I'll be aboard, but only me as for my crew. You'll leave a big deal. Hmm. I'll kill you once you be aboard, but first I'll need a wee bit more. Send me all the records that exist regarding Project Genesis. 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 What's Genesis? Oh, you want to play games? What's Genesis? Ah, come now, James. What's Genesis? Shall I fire again? Oh, Genesis. Well, let's find it. My name is Shai Porn I'm playing Admiral James T. Kirk. So Shai, you are Admiral Kirk. That is a heavy burden to shoulder during the show. What is it like to have that mantle? Um, it's an honor. It's a joy. I've, uh, 
I've been in and out of a lot of different fan groups and fan films, and it's always fun to inhabit all those roles. So it's it's just a great sandbox to play in. You're no stranger to the Star Trek universe because I believe you've done uh, some fan stuff, right? Yeah, I was. Uh, I played Sulu in the oldest fan series, Star Trek: New Voyages. Wow. So you are like a legit Trekkie then? Oh yeah, I'm a huge nerd. Yeah. How, how long has that been? Have you been a, a lifelong Trekkie? Pretty much since middle school. I remember wow. sitting in science class, seeing my friend doodling a Star Trek Enterprise. I'm like, what's that? And then I just started doodling Enterprises and watching the show in syndication and then tuned in for TNG when it debuted. So what was it that made you fall in love with Star Trek? Just everything. The message, the, the design, the message, the camaraderie between the big three in, in TOS and then when TNG debu- debuted, that cast had such chemistry and uh, it was a, just a, a whole new generation yes. of Star Trek. To, oh, I see to you did there. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I will say, and I don't think anyone else in the cast will disagree with me on this, Shai is probably our most Trek-knowledgeable cast member. He is so Kirk. You And you can tell when you come in, he's really got a deep understanding of of Kirk as the character and Shatner as the actor. He came into the audition room and blew us away. And it was one of those things of like, we've seen some good, really good actors come in to, to audition for Kirk. But he walked in and it was like, well, the bar is set very high. I actually wasn't even looking to audition for anything. I was looking for shows to go see <laughs> on my birthday. And Playbill.com has a job section, so I just randomly clicked on it. And the audition came up. And it was that weekend, so I sent in my tape, um, along with some other Star Trek content that I have. And they called me in, and I came in for the callback, and they just, they cast me. I thought I was a Trekkie, and I can do a pretty good Shatner, but I can do a Shatner like in a voiceover way. He just full body has it. Not only does he come in with all this Trek knowledge, it's saying he dances even better than we allow him to do in this show. So Shy was a home run. What if I don't have it anymore? What if I can't have happen? What if I fail? What if I get out there and everybody thinks, oh, look at him, he's such a loser, he's slow, he's dusty, he's a has-been, and I press the wrong button and order a cappuccino instead of activating the intercom, and I trip, and everyone points and laughs, and my pants fall down, and my girls just like, oh. Yeah, I gotta tell you, Shai, like, watching you perform today, like, you exude Kirk energy. Oh, thank you. You absolutely do, and, like, the crazy thing is, it's like, you're not trying to be William Shatner, but there is a little bit of Shatner in there. But I, you're totally doing your own direction, and it's I'm amazing. Trying, I'm trying to do, do that balance. I mean, doing Shatner's fun. I think Shatner's like a tremendously underrated actor, especially quiet Shatner. is very underrated, so I like playing with those rhythms as much as I can. I can tell that you are like a lifelong fan, because I see like little mannerisms, even though you throw your, bra- your, your brow. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's like all these little things there, so I, I don't know if it's intentional or not, but they're in there. They're hiding A it. lot of them are intentional. There's a lot of little references to TOS and episodes and movements that appear in <laughs> old original series shows. Uh, I, mean, I have to ask, is this like the costume that they give you, or is this what no, you No, this is home? mine. This, I this is the kind of nerd I am. I'm that sort of actor where I, I like to have the costume pieces ahead of time to sort of get a feel for the character. I mean, you absolutely rock it. You, you look Starfleet material. Oh, I thank you. Shy is the epitome of what I think of when I think about Trekkies, and it's quite a feat to gather creative minds like Brent and like John, combining forces to make this kind of magic happen. But I bet you're still wondering, how the heck does Data really fit into all of this? The answer is a little more complex than what Brent led us to believe. When we come back from the break, we'll talk to some other members of the cast, learn what the story actually is, discover how musicals belong at a Star Trek stage show, and listen to more showstoppers from Khan the Musical. 
Stick around. Trek Untold will return momentarily. Trek Untold is sponsored by Triple Fiction Productions. Celebrating 15 years in business in 2023, TFP creates 3D-printed Star Trek and sci-fi-inspired items that fit into any collection. Whether you're a cosplayer who wants a Starfleet phaser, a Bajoran tricorder, or a Klingon dagger, or a toy collector looking for that special accessory or diorama to make your figures truly stand out, Triple Fiction Productions has exactly what you need. And for you figure fanatics, that includes products that are the perfect size for Galoob, Mego, Playmates, and everything in between. All products are 3D printed in the U.S., with new designs constantly being updated on their website. Repeat customers can sign up for TFP's loyalty program for free, where the more you order, the more discounts you receive. TFP also has a pay-what-you-want section, where clearance or misprinted items are available at a discounted price. Best of all, every product can be shipped worldwide. As a special bonus for listeners of this show, Trek Untold has a special discount code just for you. Enter UNTOLD10 at checkout for 10% off of all orders with no minimum purchase required. That's 10% off using UNTOLD10. To see all of their products, head to triple-fictionproductions.net. Or to stay up to date on their newest products, find them on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Triple Fiction Productions, where something is only impossible until it happens. Hey everyone, Matthew from Trek Untold here, and I want to tell you about a big Star Trek event happening in May in New York City. Trek Long Island is kicking off in Hopog, Long Island, for the weekend of May 20th and 21st. This is a show for fans, made by fans. They've got celebrities, scientists, podcasters, and so much more jam-packed in two days of -of out-of-this-world fun. Trek Long Island has a phenomenal guest list, including some rare gems that scarcely do public appearances. They have guests from Star Trek Discovery, like the amazing Doug Jones, Oded Fair, and David Ajala. Star Trek Picard's Avon Evagora and Issa Briones, Strange New World's Bruce Horak, and many more from modern Trek shows. But don't worry, they've also got guests from the original series movies and episodes, such as Robin Curtis and Barbara Luna as well as J.G. Hertzler from DS9. Plus, a host of behind-the-scenes contributors will be appearing virtually, including Michael Westmore, Doug Drexler, The Okudas, and an in-person appearance by composer and sound designer Alan Howarth. There's going to be panels with Star Trek authors and historians, scientists breaking down the science of Star Trek, visual effects artists explaining how the magic gets made, and so much more in addition to panels from fans like you. Trek Long Island has something for everyone, and that includes all ages, as there will be children's entertainment and activities, and evening cabarets and late-night comedy for the adults. This event is going to be two Trek-filled days you do not want to miss. So prepare your away team for May 20th and May 21st for New York's best new fan-run Trek convention, Trek Long Island. Check out treklongisland.com for more details on how to pick up tickets and attend. Trek Long Island boldly going and going kindly. We now return to Trek Untold. We are in a really good spot, I think, uh, moving into tech. And we're in a really good spot where Brent and I can pick nits. This is going to be very nitpicky stuff, so um, thank you for that. That's uh, We don't always get to do that before getting into tech. So that is a testament to your hard work and working fast. So well done. The clock is ticking for the cast and crew of Khan the Musical. 
It's less than a week till showtime, and today is the final day in their rehearsal space. The next time this crew assembles, it's going to be at the Players Theater in downtown Manhattan. From there, it's only hours till the curtain rises. Data, I gave you a shit note on uh, those claps. I think you can cut them. You can stay as the human showmanship emulation. While we're on that exact moment, Laura, feel free to add a little more um, volume on most futile track. Things are down to the wire, and while the show is coming together rather quickly, there's always room for improvement. Director John Lampy, though, is feeling good about the current state of the show and where things are. This is our final rehearsal before we move into the theater. Our production team loads in tomorrow, that's Sunday, and then Monday the actors are in the theater for the very first time. Which is always both exciting because the show goes from, you know, the rehearsal room version to now we've got lights and sets and costumes and everything and the show kind of expands. Shy, what a hell of an introduction for Kirk we get in that number, yeah. so very well done. Um, the point it toast it got me rolling. A lot of really fun stuff, guys, there. And the choreography is really looking tight, so great job putting that all together. Thank for me, I always think of myself as an editor, as a director. I think if you've cast the show with the right actors, they're going to come in with good ideas. And I always say it's my job to take all of your ideas and kind of filter them into uh, a cohesive approach to this show. It's all kind of, for me, putting the pieces together. And 90% of the work is casting. If you cast the right people, which I think we have here, it's a lot of just bringing this up 10% and that down 10% and taking that great idea or that bad idea and finding out what works to tell the story. I think this cast is very much ready for an audience because you know our stage managers and Brent and Nick, our music director and myself, we've heard this so much that I'm still laughing in every rehearsal, but they're ready for a fresh, you know, 200 people to hear these jokes every night and hear these songs. If we're at this point in the rehearsal and I can pick nits instead of going, oh God, please just learn the words, please do, you know, whatever. This is, this is a really exciting and nerve-wracking part the next week or so until we've got audiences on Thursday, but I think we're ready. For Brent, this show is the culmination of countless long nights. His experience on the road to the finish line seemed almost detached or maybe compartmentalized because really, He's been raising this creative child for so long that it's hard to think of a life without it. So this show is literally nearly a decade of your life. Mm -hmm. What is it like for you now to just watch this all come together? And we are a week away from showtime. So where's your head at? How are you feeling about it? And how, how surreal is this? It, it's actually the opposite of surreal. It's very real. It's like years of thinking, how could it be? And what could it be? And it's like the practical things we're solving right now are just what's in front of us. It's just what we got to do. The weirdest thing is how, you know, from one year to the next, I mean, let's blow this up into like world history. Since that time, we've had Trump. We've had Me Too. We've had COVID. Nobody's the same after all those things. And so there are times where I just go, I don't remember being the person that wrote a thing. It feels like I kind of just like found it and it was mine. Like I, you know, suddenly I stole it or something, but really I stole it from an earlier version of myself who worked very hard to write it. It's more real than before. Unlike a movie, it's never done. And that's one of the things that kind of sucks about musicals. And it's one of the best things about them at the same it's time. It's a living art form. Right. It needs to be done again and again and again. But if you go, you know, this has been done for years and I've been licensing this version, but I have a better idea for a song. You can do that. It's like this is the 
plants the seed for people to know about it, so that it won't be just here. But like, I have friends in Norway that are like, "We want to help you translate this." I think this could be done in Germany. I think this could be done in South Korea, which has a surprisingly big explosion of musical theater in the last decade or so. This is, in a modest and not glamorous or lavish way, the real thing. And if we can nail this one, the prototype is set, and it can move forward in a, so many cool ways. So, what can you expect to see on opening night? Well, here's the story to get you hyped, as told by the cast and the crew. Data in the 24th century is trying to get in contact with his humanity by exploring forms of theater, as he does on the show. But in this case, it's musical theater. It's a way to maybe explore the human condition a little bit. And of course, Captain Picard, we know he loves Shakespeare, so he's written a historical musical based on the events of. Wrath of Khan. He's trying it out, the first draft for a、um, an artificially intelligent audience program, which is if you buy a ticket, you are one of those people in the artificially intelligent audience program. Ah, okay, so that's how Data fits into the Wrath of Khan. We'll get more on that a little bit later,、uh, but let's not jump too far ahead since we're clearly going to be breaking up the space-time continuum a lot today. So as the show goes along, he learns more and more about how to write a musical, but starts to make some connections of like, you know, Kirk is kind of an actor in his way, and when he yelled "Con," why did he do that? And maybe everyone's kind of an actor, and、um, so it's like Data does have a little Data episode that is itself a framing device, but the plot of "Con" the musical is pretty close to the Wrath of Con. The difference is that Data has sort of algorithmically. Synthesized all of these characters into tropes without realizing that he's made them into tropes. So, like Khan is not really Ricardo Montalban. He's not really Benedict Cumberbatch. He's almost closer to like a、uh, a Frankenfurter from Rocky Horror. Mix in a little bit of Scar from The Lion King, maybe a little bit of the Joker from Batman. But it's almost like we took the essence of what Khan does in the story and pulled it into musical theater. And that right there is the key to understanding Khan. The musical. It's not merely just a retelling of the movie that we all love and know. The show is a parody of Star Trek, while also being a parody of Broadway itself. But according to show creator Brent Black, it's unfair to call it a parody of those two things because, at its core, it's truly a loving homage done through song and dance. Parody and homage, when it comes to musical theater,、uh, have to be linked because it's music emulation. And so, if you want to make good music that's trying to parody something else, it's almost impossible to do that without it being homage. Unless what you're saying is that that music is bad,、mm -hmm. and none of the music I'm parodying is music I think is bad. So it's all kind of a marble cake of both. Is that the best you've got? It ain't yours to tell or do your own. Nobody work for a change, my friend. Or are you not man enough? After all this. You retreat and disappear. If you want true revenge, you'll have to come down here. Ah!
the, the musical theater references are, A, they're just fun for me and for musical theater fans, especially the ones that aren't Trekkies, who it gives them some red meat when they come see the show. But also, um, it's within the premise of the show. Data, to prepare to write this musical, watches like a thousand hours. He's the bot that we forced to watch a thousand hours. Someone had to do it. Yeah, a musical theater, but like ancient 20th and 21st century musical theater. So he doesn't realize he's regurgitating not only character tropes, but songs we've heard in transmogrified forms. Mm. You hear snippets of Rocket Man, 1776, uh, Chicago, Rocky Horror, Lame Is. And if you don't know those shows, these numbers still work. It makes sense. But if you do, it's an extra treat. The most intriguing thing to me from the crew's explanation was that the characters were all intentionally meant to be tropes. And that was what led them down to their particular character traits, rather than being carbon copies from the various media that they've been portrayed in previously. One of the more surprising ones was definitely Savick, who went through a very dramatic transformation, or maybe more accurately, a tropesformation. Really? You think I'm a good enough officer to go on an winning mission? I think it will be educational. and I play Savick in the show mostly, but I also have a, a couple of ensemble tracks. I play a mutant space chicken, a hench person for Khan, and also a space lab a scientist. Yes, she said space chicken, and while I'd love to reveal their role in the show, I think at this point, that's better left for you to discover when you see it for yourself. As for Laura, she's one of the cast members who's been there the longest, and the character she portrays is far from your classic Vulcan. I've been with the show since 2019, so I first had to do, I guess, two or three callbacks for just that reading, that very first one. I had seen some Star Trek The Next Generation and a little bit of the old um, original series, but um, I wasn't a super big Star Trek fan at that point, and I'm happy to say this show has made me a fan in the last few years, so that's exciting. Um, so I applied for that, and Brent himself wrote me back and said, well, I liked what you submitted, but can, do you have anything Disney? I was like, Disney? Disney and Star Trek. That's <laughs> right. a combination. Right, and he was like, I have this idea about this character that I want her to be a little different than the way she is in the movie, Savick. Um, uh, the way that Kirstie Alley does her uh, is a little different than, if you noticed, from yes. the from the show version here. She's, uh, I guess I'm not spoiling anything by saying she's she's a bit of a Disney princess. She is. Um, in combination yeah. with the Vulcan. See, I came in a little bit late, so I kind of missed a lot of those parts, but now this makes much more sense why she's suddenly dancing around the room and like having her princess songs. Right, right. She has a, a lot of feelings that I think she's trying to balance with her more Vulcan side that she she really looks up to Spock and wants to be um, more connected with her Vulcan side. There's a line where, where I say uh, an interstellar Jekyll and Hyde. 
And that's kind of the idea of Savick in this version. The two strongest things that I've taken for the character is I really like the idea that she's this strong, ambitious warrior woman on the inside. She really wants to be a captain. She wants to rise in the ranks of Starfleet, even though this is just the beginning of her journey in that way. I really like that kind of strong gumption. She's talking up to authority, even though maybe she shouldn't in the rank that she currently is. Um, so I like that kind of strength in her. But also I really like the vulnerability that she has kind of at the funeral when even though she's this Vulcan exterior, she's crying at Spock's funeral. So I really kind of liked that iconic part of the movie and I wanted to try to bring a little of that to that. But let's take a minute right now and visit back with our show's framing device. And I mean that for Khan the musical as well as this podcast. It all comes back to Data, played by Julian Mangerico. I play a lot of roles in the show, and I think I play like five roles or something. And the one role that I'm the most scared to play is Data, because it's the most, you know, factually accurate. Like, I have to do it precisely. It's not, it's not, it's not me making a joke about Data. You know, it's me actually being him. Whereas every other role was kind of like, I could come up with whatever I wanted to. So that's been a little jarring and scary to, you know, try and perfect as much as I can before opening so that the Trekkies don't kill me. Data to Captain Picard. Captain, if Commander Montgomery Scott wanted to consummate his lust for a space-faring vessel, how would he interface with it? I suppose I'd be really scared of Captain. Data, Mrs. Scott was a very special man, but there's a reason the Federation made it illegal to marry a starship. Data is the glue of the show, but for Julian, Star Trek was a completely new universe to be a part of. So were you a Trekkie before the show? Not at all. No. So have you become one is the important question. Yes, which is great. What if I said no? I think... <laughs> I'd be very angry right now. So yeah, go absolutely. Back. No, I and I think that's... that's It's one of my favorite things about acting is that I have... I dive into a world, every play or film or anything. Most recently I did a movie where I played a professional clown who, like, gets beat up by Tom Hanks, which is crazy. You and my name is Otto, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. And, um, and I, so I just dove into the world of clowning and, like, what each kind of face paint means and, like, how to clown, what, what, what those rules are in the world. So it was really cool to learn a new skill. And coming into this, I was like, I have no idea about anything about Star Trek. My mom always had it on, but I always walked away because it looked boring and fuzzy, like vintage. And you look like, boring, Julian. Yeah, I know, I know. But it, it, it was like so old and I was like, oh, I don't, I was like a preteen, so I didn't know anything. And I was like, oh, what's that? So it's been really cool to dive into this world of like con and Star Trek and get to learn why people are so obsessed with it. Because I, I really, I feel that now. Data is the play within the play. And that also means Data does double duty, filling in for the roles of several other characters. Some you're familiar with, like Khan's second-in-command, Joachim, and others who you didn't quite get to spend as much time with in the original movie, such as Scotty's ill-fated nephew, Peter Preston. Captain Spock, we are clear for departure. Oh, 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 oh. Can I stay up here and watch the launch, Uncle? I mean, Commander! Uncle, alright! <laughs> but once we jump to warp, you go right back to your post and stay there! No matter what! Cross me out and out the die. So let's spend some time actually talking a little bit about Preston, because that's mm. a character who you don't really get to spend a lot of time with in Wrath of Khan, and yeah. also a little bit with Joaquin, because, again, mm. Joaquin and Khan, they're not quite 
what we are used to seeing. Yeah, yeah. Um, both characters, I just... Brent, who wrote the book, he's he was great in the character descriptions of them because um, for Peter Preston, essentially, he said it's a, basically just a tiny Tim, like, put up to 11. So it's been really cool to explore that character because when I watched Khan, I was waiting for Peter Preston to show up because I was like, okay, it's this British guy that's like a tiny Tim. And he, he, there's like five seconds of him max on screen. Here's a dead carcass. There you go. Yeah, exactly. So I was like, oh. But then I, I was like, oh. But then I realized like, oh, I could do so much with it. So I was like, oh, okay, cool, great. So let's see what happens with that. And then Joaquin, it's funny, in the character description, it was like his sniveling, con sniveling sidekick. And there, he does a lot of, in the script, he does a lot of, um, British kind of, um, things so and we've talked about it and the way brent uh kind of formulated the character was he wanted him to be kind of like british like a like a sniveling like person on the side and but the first choice i had when in the first read through was like this is a guy and i was like let's go with that let's see what that does you've won this round kirk but rest assured no matter where you go i will find you end communication might I have your permission to speak freely, O oh Lord, O oh mighty I? Mighty time? Ugh, just spit it out. After all those years of being trapped in a barren wasteland, we now have a starship. Once we repair it, we can go anywhere and do anything. We could even start a bowling league. <laughs> that, that was before, and as Klingons say, kapla kapla. Kapla, kapla. I will say, like, as an audience member watching the rehearsals today, it's like, yeah. it's fun seeing you go from Data to then suddenly becoming Preston mm-hmm. or yeah. becoming Joaquim. You yeah. know, like, there, it's a lot of fun seeing all these different transformations. I mean, what's it like for you to be able to kind of, you know, at the start of the show, you're this stiff, rigid android, but mm-hmm. as it goes on, you are many different characters uh, with a lot of different physicalities, let's yeah. say. Yeah, I think it. I think I've realized how important it is that one can't go without the other. You know, like, Data... I have to be so rigid and formal and, you know, you know, take the audience through the journey. And that makes my crazy characters that much funnier. And I will be opening night. I will be like painted and I have like green contacts and my hair is going to be. So I'm very excited to see that. Um, it'll be a very cool moment. I'm so for sure. sorry for the costume changes you're going to have to go through. Oh my God, oh my I know. God. It's going to be so, hopefully there's AC in, in the player's theater. Spoilers. No. Uh, yeah. God. <laughs> Sadly, I didn't have a chance to talk to every performer and crew member working on the show. And we've already met Shy, Laura, and Julian, so let's spend some time getting to know a few of the other cast members, including Khan himself, played by Zachary Kropp. Kirk tasks me, and I shall have him. I'll chase him round the moons of Nibia, and over the river, and through the woods, and around the rings of Uranus if I have to! Khan, who is Zach Kropp, who is just, like, you know, we were down, as always is the case, between a couple cons in auditions, and uh, eventually just came down to the fact that Data describes his interpretation of Khan as simply fabulous. And Zach is simply fabulous. Zach is amazing. He's had, he's had an incredible life. He's, he's studied theater and then uh, nursing and then served in the military and came back to it. He, he, he's really fascinating and uh, like hugely talented. Just from, from day one, he, he 
he hit the beats of Archon. And working with Zach is amazing. He's a glitter ball of just amazing vocal health and just charisma and fantasia, and I love it. It's really cool to like work with both of them because it's so it's such different worlds with both of them. But that's why you know I love this show. As usual, Master. Yours is the superior intellect. <laughs> I am very well aware. Let's talk about some of these wonderful cast members you have here, because you've got an amazing Starfleet crew assembled for this show. <laughs> yeah, we do, and it was, you know, we, it, it took us a long time to cast this show, and what we found was kind of the the ideal actor for us is someone that has some knowledge of Trek and is a really good actor. Uh, more so than someone who's maybe super knowledgeable of the source material, but when you get on stage, it's trying to pull the kind of technical stuff out of them. Perhaps someone over there called you a magician. Damn it, man. I'm a doctor, not a magician. Lindsay, who plays Bones and Scotty, is such a, you know, you see this tall, beautiful, red-headed woman, and there's no part of you that goes, oh, well, that's DeForest Kelly, right? But she can... Uh, she's able to kind of turn that voice on and that persona, and then she gets out of the room, and it's a, she's just a totally different person. Max, who is our Spock, uh, has really been able to kind of find the... To me, I have always been... Uh, I'm a TOS kid. I grew up on TOS. These are, this is my bread and butter. Uh, and Spock is always the one... Like, he was my guy. And uh, I think Max is able to really get at the heart of what makes Spock special. And Spock is the heart of Wrath of Khan in a lot of ways, right? Obviously, I'm guessing if you're watching this, you know the ending of the film. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Um, but Spock's choices and Spock's sacrifice, like that's, it's, it's heart-wrenching. And I think what Max is able to do, um, particularly in that scene and in a lot of other scenes prior to that, uh, is give us a real um, fleshed-out Spock who isn't uh, a Nimoy impression. A five, six, seven, eight. Take the man. I'm not gonna bend. Jim, I can. And Charles, your friend. And as for friend, I have a plan. You're captain to the core. And I am not. So take the man. It's the only logical thing to do. The needs of the many outweigh. Max is an amazing Spock and totally understands the assignment. He would make Nimoy proud with his portrayal of balancing a controlled Vulcan mind with spectacular song and dance ability that somehow, somehow still makes sense for this science officer to do. Lindsay Emmy Newton was a lot of fun as Bones and Scotty, a very tough range to play but one she has nailed at this point. Clayton Matthews brought mountains of charisma to his unforgettable performance as Sulu and Chekhov. And last, but certainly not least, Crystal Marie Stewart was a perfect Uhura and Carol Marcus, bringing a lot of energy to both roles. I also heard in the download that she is a huge Trekkie, which makes me even more disappointed I didn't get a chat with her this time around, but to be fair, she was a bit preoccupied. And of course, let's not forget the great crew behind the scenes making the show happen, including stage manager Rebecca Batson, musical director Nicholas Kaminsky, costume designer Jolene Richardson, assistant stage manager Tony Lehman, and many, many more hardworking individuals who deserve all the credit, too, for making this show run at warp speed. 
I'll admit, it's not easy wrapping everyone's head around the idea of taking Star Trek and turning it into a musical. Well, I have to tell you, it works exceptionally well in no small part due to the years of Brent toiling on this project. Over the course of a nearly a decade, Brent took two very different forms of storytelling and distilled it into one very special work of art that stands on its own merits. So you're basically transitioning a sci-fi movie into a Broadway musical. Right. So different formulas you got to play with. Yeah. So how does that all get put together? Because that's a pretty big transition to have to happen. Right. And, you know, it's... Uh... It requires a lot of transformation and warping, no pun intended. Oh, you. But like small moments in the movie that have big consequences sometimes have to become a song that's twice as long as that moment in the movie. The thing is, you can make a musical that doesn't follow the formula of good musicals from the past. And just like a movie, if you make a movie that's really structurally singular and unusual... Uh, it might be great, or it might feel a little long, a little short, a little wrong. With musicals, if we're doing classic structure, you need your protagonist to have this longing and this desire. Almost every great Disney Renaissance movie has this, um, and it's a tried and true formula. The difficult part with Kirk and with the whole movie the Kirk is what's called a passive protagonist. Everything in the movie kind of happens to him and he reacts to it. In a way, it's almost like Khan is the momentum protagonist and Kirk is the our favorite guy protagonist. It was a lot of figuring out how to um, tarp the moments in the movie into musical theater structure and... A lot of times things that don't work in musical theater, it's not because they don't work in that scene. It's because you started screwing up three scenes ago and you haven't recovered. So I hope that gave you some insight into just kind of how that transformation from movie to musical works. But what about the people who don't know Star Trek? Well, yes, they do exist out there. And conversely, what about the people who like Star Trek but might not be a fan of musicals? The good news is this show is catered towards all audiences. As Brent and John explained, and being in the room, seeing the show up close and personal, I can absolutely confirm that sentiment. This is a show that is not just for Trekkies, and it's not just for musical theater people. It's for both and for neither, because a good musical doesn't require you to like musicals and doesn't require you to know the characters. How many movies do you go see where you don't know the characters till you watch the movie? Most of them. It's their job to introduce you to the characters. So I built that in. And kind of the reason why this works is I think in the Venn diagram of like Trekkies and musical theater people, that center part of the Venn diagram is probably pretty big, right? There's a lot of people with at least a little knowledge. And you don't have to have an encyclopedic knowledge of, of TOS or the films or TNG to really understand it, right? But like you said, if you do, we have a, we have a couple of bits that kind of throw some red meat to the audience. Um, but again, if you don't know what that is, it's not like you're going to miss out on the story. It's the type of musical that has so many references to other musicals that everyone can enjoy. So even if you don't know Star Trek, you can easily, quickly jump into the world because of the musicals songs based on so many other musicals in the, you know, the canon of what's on Broadway. Every time we've done a reading or an airing, like uh, a table read where we've invited a bunch of people. And now there have been seven in one way or another before this. 
someone, and usually more than one person, comes up and says, I've never seen a single episode of Star Trek, or I watched Star Trek when I was a kid and I didn't like it, but now they're interested in watching more. Or at least now they're like, are you doing this again? I'd love to bring a friend. That's kind of a flex, but after eight years, I have the data, no pun intended. So it's not that it's just for this niche or just for that niche. If you like funny theater or you just like having a good time, this will find you. And so it is to say, don't think that you can't bring your square grandma. Don't think that you can't bring your partner who doesn't like sci-fi and never likes stuff you like. It's designed to be a good time, no matter what your background is, and with bonus elements if you are a Trekkie and or a musical theater person. If you ask any member of the cast and crew, they will all have their own unique answers for what their favorite number is from the show. For Laura, who's seen this musical go through so many changes during her tenure in Khan since 2019, it's one of the newer songs recently added to the book that has her most excited. So you've been there since the very earliest iterations of the show. How has it changed? How has it evolved to where we are today? Oh, it's, I, I mean, I love the various cuts. Of course, there's pieces that are great that I, that I miss that had to be cut for continuity purposes or time or just because of character things. But, um, there's a whole new song in this version that I had never heard before, before coming into rehearsals here, which is boldly go. And I love that piece. I just really, I, I think it kind of gels the moment of Kirk changing his mind and stepping into his role and becoming old Kirk, I guess, becoming the Kirk we all know and love um, and having the team rally behind him. Well, you can't back up. And you can't slow down. It's a rare treat to be able to see a show like this in the creative process of a rehearsal. I'm sure I saw some things that won't make the final cut, as well as witnessing some of the struggles that audiences will never be aware of by the time that curtain rises. But the one thing that stood out to me the most was how this group of strangers turned into a real Starfleet crew and found a second family among the stars. And this entire cast feels like from day one, maybe, I don't know how it was you could tell me, but like, yeah. it feels like you guys have just come together yeah. and you are Starfleet, you are a crew together. Yeah, it's been really cool. Like the first rehearsal, which is what I love about this. It's like, I sit down, I don't know anyone, but now it's like, I feel like I know everyone in a, in a, in a very great way. We all like clicked into each other which is very cool. We've had a very short time to prepare, um, and they've come in and they just hit the ground running. Everyone was picked up the music super fast, picked up the, the line and the characterization super fast. Not everyone in here was a Star Trek fan coming in, so they, they did their research and, and glommed onto the characterizations very quickly. But the, the joy in the room is palpable. It really is everyone loving their characters and getting into it.
felt very privileged that I had this opportunity to watch Khan just days before the public could, and now I think I'm even more excited to see the final version as soon as I can. You can feel the passion and enthusiasm from every member of this show as I chatted with many of them hours after a grueling rehearsal session. The big question is, why should you come out and see Khan the Musical? People are like, you're in a parody musical, and I was like, yeah but it's so much better than you think. <laughs> like, the music in this is so, so good. It's one of, it's some of the best music I've ever heard. Seriously, like amazing. This show is created and performed by people who love Star Trek. And if there's one thing people who love Star Trek love, it's more Star Trek content. So they should absolutely come and see this. And I believe there's a pretty big crossover on the Venn diagram of life of, between Star Trek nerds and musical theater nerds. So this is the... Perfect combination of both. There's a world in which a Star Trek musical is made without as much love as we have for Star Trek. And Brent is a huge fan. I'm a huge fan. Much of our cast, big fans of this show. So there's a reference to the material and also a respect for it that I think really uh, elevates our show. It's just something that not only will touch you, but also make you laugh constantly throughout the whole thing. Constantly. Constantly. I mean, she just con, can't stop now. constantly. <laughs> Check out Con the Musical at the Players Theater, currently scheduled to run from May 4th to June 4th, 2023. If you don't live in the New York area, make sure to follow them on social media and show your support by saying you want the show in your neck of the woods. You can do that by following at Con the Musical on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And do make sure to let them know you want a cast album available on Spotify too. For details on how to buy tickets, visit coniscoming.com. And as for the crew of this performance, break a leg and take us out. That's it for this week's episode of Trek Untold. Until next time, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Trek Untold, all one word. If you'd like to directly support this podcast, please consider becoming a Patreon supporter over on patreon.com slash trekuntold, which gives you access to some great perks that can't be beat. Or pick up some merchandise from our store, or use my Amazon shop link to check out all kinds of different Star Trek merchandise. Links for all these things are in the show notes. Shout out to Triple Fiction Productions for being a key sponsor of Trek Untold. Don't forget to check them out and all of the fine folks whose ads you've seen or heard on this podcast, too. If you have any questions, feedback, or comments for the show, or would like to suggest a guest or discuss sponsorship options for any of these episodes in the future, send me a message at trekuntold at gmail.com. I hope to see you here again as we uncover more untold stories from Star Trek and beyond and get to know even more amazing people who have contributed to this ever-expanding universe. Until next time, I'm Matthew Kaplowitz, and remember, fortune favors the bold. Trek Untold is sponsored by Treksphere.com. Promoting fan-produced Star Trek content in all forms, is powered by the Rageworks Podcasting Network, and is affiliated with Nerd News Today.